We turn now to the Word of God, and I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A familiar passage for occasions such as this. Reading from the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read the entire chapter. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This truly is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Lord our God, we bow before you, thanking you and praising you for your great word. A word that you have given to your people throughout all the ages. A word that is preserved in your church and is proclaimed from the rising of the sun until its setting. So that around the world today... As more and more people hear the gospel, those who have been chosen to everlasting life will come to saving faith. We thank you, Father, that the knowledge of this gospel continues to grow. And we pray that tonight we will have uh, that you will provide for us further insight into the glories of your gospel and the glories of your word. For Jesus sake. Amen. I want to draw your attention tonight to the words of verse seven. For 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
Dear Congregation, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this verse is deceptively simple, and yet it is one of the most basic building blocks that informs us as to what the nature of the gospel is, what a minister of the gospel is to be, and even something of an insight as to who God is himself. And this perspective is what we need to, again, be reminded of this evening, what our brother Zach Skiba also needs to keep in mind as he begins his period of ministry in this particular congregation as one who is a bringer of good news, a pastor in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this evening, I want to focus our attention upon 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, ministering that word under the theme, God shows his treasure in jars of clay. God shows his treasure in jars of clay. And first, we want to take some time to consider the glory of this treasure. Secondly, the humility of the container. It's only a jar of clay. And finally, the excess or excessive power of God. There's a number of years ago uh, when I lived in Canada, uh, I was able to go into British Columbia and see, I took a tour of a hydroelectric electric plant in British Columbia, or as they call a hydro plant, because of the presence of many waterfalls and uh, mountain water. Uh, they were able to build many uh, plants that would generate electrical power. And if my memory serves me correctly, not only was this power that was made available to a large section of Western Canada, even some of that was sold into parts of the Northwest United States. Now, electrical power that is needed in such a wide geographical area has to, has to be a lot. And yet when you look at the cables, those were not small cables, and yet in comparison to the amount of electrical current that was being delivered to Western Canada and parts of the United States was immense. How great a power, electrical power that would uh, allow uh, homes and schools and hospitals and factories to function. And yet when compared to the cable, the cable then begins to look quite unimpressive. And Paul uses that kind of picture to describe the contrast there is between what the gospel is and the containers that minister that gospel. Evangelists and pastors on the one hand and the message that they bring. You know, you've heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's possible to have a book that has a rather plain cover, maybe even drab. And yet inside the book is a, is a novel or a story that is gripping, that is, uh, has a plot that yields many interesting twists and turns with characters that are colorful and a storyline that impresses the imagination. A good book doesn't always look interesting, but a good story takes you to places uh, that you would never go otherwise. No reader wants to stare at the cover of a book. The focus is not on its cover. The focus of the reader is always on the story within it. Don't judge a book by its cover. All attention is on the message, on that word of God's glorious grace that we see 
in Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple of these things. First of all, Paul mentions the glory of this treasure. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay. Well, what does he mean by treasure? Now to see that, we have to put that in a context. What has just been said? On verse 6, Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul uses the images of light and glory to describe and to characterize, to illustrate what the gospel is. And the gospel is a story. It's a story of what God has done throughout history. And so even when you read the Old Testament, and maybe especially when you read the Old Testament, there's a story that's unfolding, a drama of redemption. Now, in the Old Testament, the key elements of that good news was rescuing slaves out of Egypt. The covenant people of God, the church, was rescued from slavery by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They were fed for 40 years in the wilderness. God's people, if they died in the wilderness, was not because of hunger. Typically it was rebellion, but not hunger. God fed them every day with bread from heaven. He brought them into the promised land. And even later on in history, when they were taken into exile among the Babylonians and then later under the Persians, God brought them back home. Powerful deliverance. And all of that comes to completion in the work of Jesus Christ. The glory of the Father. The glory that takes on flesh. And we see his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came into this world to save his elect and to bring all the glory to God. Now, that's all part of the story that's recorded for us in Scripture. Because when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on resurrection morning, he accomplished that redemption. He didn't dangle it in front of people hoping they would choose for it. He accomplished it. Then he ascends to heaven and he pours out his spirit. And that spirit comes among us and applies the things of Christ to us. Paul calls the story about God's deliverance, rescue, salvation, treasure, valuable, beautiful, worth your attention. It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other parts of his letters, Paul will call this a mystery. Now, but not a mystery in the sense of a dark, unknown enigma, a puzzle. No, something that God kept unrevealed in the Old Testament, but now is revealed. Now is made known. Now is fully disclosed and fully discerned in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what's really interesting in this passage is that Paul kind of turns on its head what was a practice in the ancient world. Quite often, if a person had valuable jewels, maybe a ring or uh, a necklace of some kind, uh, something valuable, what they would do is 
hide it in ordinary jars. Something that would not attract the attention of a passerby and certainly not the attention of a thief. If you go, if you want to rob a person's home, you wouldn't look in ordinary jars. People hid their treasures in jars of clay in earthen vessels. Reminds me of when I was in seminary many, many decades ago. Uh, I don't know his name, but there was a student who he would hide his paper money in the volume written by Burkhauer on sin. <laughs> Quite convinced that no thief would ever go paging through a book on sin to look for money. <laughs> Valuable uh, property hidden in a book. And even today, people sometimes have these phony books where they might keep money or keys or, uh, or treasure. Precious, valuable jewelry hidden in clay jars. But the treasure that Paul's talking about is not something that is meant to be hidden. Quite the contrary. He's kind of turned the whole uh, practice on its head. The good news is to be announced, heralded, preached, taught, spread around so that everyone gets to know about it. The gospel is a treasure that we don't keep to ourselves, but that we want others to know about. The gospel is a treasure, and it may not be hidden. It may not be held back. Now, what are some of the gems of this story? Well, we've alluded to some of them already. Some of these gems are placed or scattered, you might say, in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, where Paul says to the Corinthians, every promise of God, every one, is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It's established in Christ. It is sealed in him. It is delivered by him. Victory over sin and the devil. That has been accomplished on the cross. The devil struck at Jesus' heel, but he struck back and crushed the devil's head. Resurrection morning. Death itself is conquered. The first fruits of the resurrection has already appeared in history. Jesus Christ. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, do you believe in the resurrection of the body? He says, of course. It's happened already. It's starting. It's starting because Christ has conquered death. The forgiveness of sins, Jesus on the cross said it is finished, meaning the debt that you and I could never pay because of its enormity against God, Jesus paid in full for you, for me. The vilest sinner has sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus always lives to intercede for you. He is a high priest who understands. He sympathizes with us. He's undergone the same temptations that you and I undergo. There's nothing that is strange to him or foreign to him. That's why, brothers and sisters, in the presence of an angry God, the safest thing is to run into his arms. That's the safest place to be in the presence of an angry God because God will never cast out anyone who comes to him in repentance. There's a new covenant that's been established in Christ. The old covenant promised so much, but in its own terms couldn't deliver. 
The old covenant was like that carrot in front of the horse. The horse wants to eat the carrot, but he never gets there. The righteousness of God is fully set forth in the old covenant. Beautiful, wonderful. The law is righteous, good, and true. But it doesn't take away sins. Because as Hebrews points out, brothers and sisters, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. But the blood of bulls and goats, the animals of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, can't take away sins. The new covenant is established in Christ. This is a gem. This is a jewel. In Christ, the old veil is taken away. You know, think of it. In the old covenant, you you and I could not go to the ark. We couldn't go into the very holy of holies. Now, with that veil removed, Hebrews tells us, come with boldness to the throne of grace to seek help and grace in time of need. How much better, how much greater is what we now have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's yours. Brothers and sisters here in Pella, that's yours. We live in the age of that new and wonderful covenant. He has set his spirits His spirit, his Holy Spirit to have a dwelling in our hearts. And that same spirit takes the things of Christ and keeps applying them to our lives so that we move from one glory to another glory. And in him, that glory constantly transforms us in ever increasing ways. Brothers and sisters, that's a treasure. That's valuable. It's precious. It's beautiful. And it belongs to God's children wherever they are in this world today. It belongs to you here in Pella, Iowa. The bottom line is this, that God has demonstrated his love for this world. How? By giving not somebody else's son, his own son. That whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. This world already stood under condemnation. But he sent his son to save this world. This is the message we preach. That is the glory of the treasure that is given for you to announce, Brother Steve out. How great a light, how great a message. But Paul also says that this treasure is contained in jars of clay. Jars of clay. Earthen vessel. When earthen vessels. I remember that when I was, uh, I went on a dig. I'm not an archaeologist, but I went on a dig in Israel at Bethsaida in June of 2008. And uh, everything that you find that is of some historical value in the dirt, you dig it up, you you measure the elevation that it was found, uh, you, you scrub it later, you count it, and if it's broken pottery, you throw it out. Now, if it's a coin, that's different. If it's something of value, the uh, Israeli Department of Antiquities takes hold of that. But if it's pottery, it's, it's a dime a thousand. It is so common. I mean, our breakfast area was on like three or four inches of just broken pottery. There's no value to it. It was that common. Here we get Paul's perspective on himself. Because he, too, is another jar of clay. You think, oh, he's an apostle. 
Oh, he's a man of study. He, he was trained by a famous rabbi. He's an apostle. Well, Paul says, we are merely earthen vessels. We're just jars of clay. They were expendable. Because if you broke one, you went down to the local pottery kiosk in your village and you got another one. It's the treasure that's important. It's the treasure that's valuable. You don't stare at the book cover. You don't focus your attention on the clay jar. Pottery lamps in the, in the market probably cost a copper penny or two. Break, breakable, cheap, useful as long as they showed light. Had a little bit of oil and you could uh, get a little bit of light from them. I mean, think of your own home. As long as that light bulb works, it's valuable. But the moment it breaks, it's gone. It's out. It's a dime. Well, maybe not a dime a thousand, but it's cheap. Fragile. And therefore, brothers and sisters, tonight, as you think about your new pastor here, and think about yourself, consider your own weaknesses as Christians. We're nothing more than dust. Clay jar serves the treasure that it bears, and it is good as long uh, as long as it does that. God's the potter, and we are merely clay. Plus, God is not done with any one of us. He always puts us to use. We're always growing as Christians. We're always being transformed from one glory to another. That's why your pastor will grow here, and you grow with him. Some of you will grow at a, a faster rate than others because God always deals with us in measure. Some slowly, some more rapidly. Brothers and sisters, remember that a minister that serves the churches of Jesus Christ today is not a prophet. Now, he handles the word of God, but he's not like the prophets of the Old Testament time who received new and direct revelation from God. The canon is closed. From Genesis to Revelation, God has made clear what he wants his church to know until he comes again. A minister is not an apostle. Now, yes, he is sent. He's commissioned by the church. But he's not an apostle in the sense of John and Peter and Paul, who laid down that foundation once for all. If you've ever done any construction, you only lay one foundation. You don't put a foundation on a foundation on a foundation. Your pastor is called by the church, but he's not an apostle in that original sense. He's not Superman. Your pastor is strong, but he's not Superman. He's not able to fly through the air at a moment's notice to be everywhere for everyone at the same time. And it's not true that all the hurts and criticisms that come his way, perhaps, will bounce off him with no effect. He's not a miracle worker. He's your pastor who loves you and seeks to take care of you. But he's not a miracle worker. He's not able to wave a magic wand or to say magic words and then all problems will, will simply go away. That's not the case. He will be tired at times. He may become discouraged at other times. 
and sometimes maybe even unsure of what the next step and direction might be. Paul lists some of the things that afflicted him. Troubles, sufferings, pressure often attend the work, the life of a faithful pastor. Paul experienced this too. Think of what he says back in chapter 2. He mentions a painful visit. Now, not all the congregations of the early church era were, you know, happy, bubbly, exuberant Christians. Paul was very fond of the Philippians, but those Corinthians had all kinds of problems. Chapter 4, verse 8, he says, we are hard-pressed. He is just a clay jar, nothing more, not polished brass. He He was not glittering gold. He was not a silver trumpet, none of that. God's messenger is quite ordinary. In fact, he is you. He's you. He's called to an office. Oh, yes. A precious thing. But in terms of the struggles and and ups and downs that ordinary Christians experience, he's you. He's me. He understands. He's also been there. The jar is made of mere clay. The vessel, the messenger, is earthenware, sometimes chipped, sometimes cracked. But he's also a steward. Paul says this in his first letter to the Corinthians, that we should consider, uh, people should consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And therefore, as one who is a steward, he must be found faithful. No distortion of the message. Always setting forth the message plainly. No underhanded ways. No cunning. No manipulation of the message for his own benefit. Brother Skibout, be clear. Be lucid. Be to the point. Speak the truth always. And always speak it in love. For he transmits, your pastor transmits through the weak agencies of his own mind and heart, the self-revelation of God. That revelation that is preserved for us in Holy Scripture. The jar does not have to supply itself with oil. That comes from without. Here is the oil that will, will fuel the light. The light of the gospel of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why the the ministry here in Pella, in this church, in all churches that seek to be faithful to Christ, is Him. Him again. Christ. His Spirit. Also, as that Spirit uh, exerts His power and His inspiration, that Spirit of Christ will work faith in the hearts of believers. He softens hard hearts. He performs that spiritual surgery that takes the heart of cold stone out and replaces it with a living heart. Christ and his spirit are the source of this treasure. Don't focus on the messenger. Don't stare at the jar. Calvin once said that it is wrong to measure the treasure by its container. Or as I said earlier in the sermon... Don't judge the book by its cover. Get inside. Read the story. Let the message of the gospel be the center of your life here. Let it grip your heart. 
In fact, that, the word minister, in fact, is an interesting word because it comes from the Latin. And if you remember your high school Latin, many means less. The only true magistrate in the church is Christ. We are but ministers. We do, we are the servants. We do the lesser things. Christ is the true head of this church. Finally, brothers and sisters, this, we come to our last point where Paul talks about uh, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing power. And he uses a word which in the Greek language is hyperbole. Now today we, we think of hyperbole as a uh, way of speaking in which we go over the boundary. We, we say something that is, you know, in excess. Uh, you know, maybe your children come home and say, well, you know, I, I want this toy or I want this uh, coat or what have you. Everyone has it. Well, that's a little excessive. Everyone. Or it's raining cats and dogs. Really? It maybe is a nice shower, but raining cats and dogs. We Hyperbole is this excessive language. It goes beyond uh, the ordinary um, literal meaning. Well, why does Paul say this? The treasure, the gospel, is found in earthen vessels so that the effect is seen to be the result of God and not the earthen vessel. Paul actually says something similar in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because what? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Human frailties, human weaknesses present no obstacles to God. What a great comfort this is to any Christian. I mean, Paul could be so... Uh, he says, I, I held back in my rhetoric. I held back in my speaking. So that you, when faith takes hold, you could only say it's because of the Holy Spirit and not me. Paul preached one time and a guy fell asleep and fell out the window. But what's remarkable in that story is that after he was raised to life, he kept talking until dawn. Now, Brother Skibat, I don't think he's going to be doing that here, but what's the point? So that when people come to faith, it's not because of the rhetorical speaking ability of the messenger. That the excessive power belongs to God when we recognize that the treasure is contained in just a plain jar. The jar doesn't do it. The treasure of God does it. See, that's why Brother Skibout is going to be planting seed. He's going to be watering places where that seed has sprouted. But the increase, the growth, that will be God and God's alone. Here's where the glory of the pastor's work will be seen, but precisely because it is not the pastor's work. God uses us as instruments, channels, vehicles to get his job done. Your job is to be engaged in the spreading of the knowledge of this gospel 
the scattering of the seed and let God be God and do with that seed as he will. What is really being suggested and applied here is that the treasure itself, the gospel, is powerful. And it's true. There's no shame that belongs to this gospel. It is the power of God to save those who believe. All this is done so that God's kingdom and power and glory might advance. All the blessings and growth in this church, here in Pella, will come from God. Not from your pastor, not from your elders, not from the presbytery. It will come from God. To God alone be the glory. That's why any, any congregation that is faithful to the Lord may, in the eyes of the world, look quite unimpressive. I mean, I think of, I think of uh, that time when Jesus takes his 11 disciples to a mountain in Galilee. And I sometimes said he took, he, he invited his followers to a missions rally. And the turnout was poor. And the Bible says in Matthew 20, and some doubted. Well, that's not a great start to it, to the church, is it? But, okay, you start with 11 people who are a little shaky. And today, the believers are in the millions, if not more, around this world. Don't judge Christianity by its numbers. Judge it by the power of its, of its Savior, of its King and Ruler. Judge it by the glory of the Gospel, the message that what God is doing for the life of the world and saving a people for Himself. This should lead to really humility, shouldn't it? Church leaders are often tempted to be prima donnas. We like to be the center of attention. The kind who want to be center staged, don't preach yourself. Build relationships, build friendships indeed, cultivate hospitality, but make others servants of God and friends of Christ. Love these people deeply and make sure they know that you love them for they belong to Christ purchased by his blood to be his own this should also lead not only to humility but also to thanksgiving verse 15 to cause thanksgiving to abound to increase to the glory of God sometimes we may be tired in this work that happens but since it's God's glorious work and the excessive power belongs to him we may be tired, but never tired of it. Never tired of it. No need to be discouraged, for God is at work. Through his gospel, the work of Christ, the power of his spirit, and that, brothers and sisters, is genuinely good news. Amen.